Welcome to the church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. Today is January 30th, and this is our third and final installment of our sermon series called Fool's Gold, Exposing the Lie of Sin. Here it is now. So today, uh, we are wrapping up our series on, um, on sin. We called it Fool's Gold, uh, Exposing the Lie of Sin. And I'm sad it's our last week, not because I love preaching about sin, but because it's been a really, really good study for me personally in my personal life. And I pray as you've been going along with me on this journey, it's been helpful to you. Uh, That first week, we looked at those two ladies from the book of Proverbs, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And we saw that Lady Wisdom is trying to keep you alive, right? Lady Folly is like, ah, come on, who cares? Go for it, you know? And you're tempted to just walk away from wisdom, walk away from God's path, and to let the chaos into our lives and into the lives of those we love. And we said that first week that whenever you see a don't in the Bible, the next thing you should read is hurt yourself. Because that's exactly what God is trying to stop us from doing, is hurting ourselves. Why do we not listen at times, right? We just, we walk outside of God's will, we walk outside of his wisdom, and we hurt ourselves because we think we know better, right? Don't we? Amen. Yeah, that's me. So last week, we actually looked at that. Okay, Brad, why, if sin is so bad, we're answering this question, why does it feel so good? You know, why, if if it's so wrong, does it seem so right? How did we get to that place where it's just screwed up sometimes for us? Well, we looked at the biblical story about that. We, we saw that we were created to rule. God's glory was to reflect from our lives as, he, as we bear his image to creation. But we looked at the first sin as Adam and Eve walked outside of God's will. We looked at the fall of humanity and now we're broken. We're restored in Jesus, but we are dealing with the brokenness of our sin. And we talked about the deception that happens when we fall into this. And what, we've, what we said is this, now for us, right and wrong are now influenced by our selfishness. And so right for us many times is, is not what God says is right, but it's right for me. And so we repeat the sin of Eden when we eat from the tree of knowledge by thinking, I know best, I'll do it my way, only to hurt ourselves. And so today we're gonna look at this last aspect of sin. There's one more part that we have to talk about. It's biblical, it's thoroughly in the scripture. We're gonna look at Jesus, we're gonna look at Paul. We're gonna do a pretty intense Bible study. I wanna warn you up front, okay? I was joking around the first service, like I don't have much original content, so we're just gonna do a lot of Bible study today, but I think it'll be helpful. But we're gonna look at sin's slavery. And it's just like fool's gold, right? You think you're catching, you think you're getting something great, and you're just like, ah. Oh. And just like those miners can almost be, you know, catch, you know, gold fever and they end, up, they end up just risking their lives and, and, and whatever for something they think they're pursuing, we can do the same. We lose our objectivity, we lose our rationality and we, we find ourselves enslaved. What began as a choice ends as a prison. And so we're gonna look at sin slavery today. We looked at uh, something that uh, Kanye West, who just goes by Ye now, uh, he's, he, we looked at his song last week. And I wanna look at an interview from uh, 2019, a couple years ago. He said something so profound, so authentic and transparent. He said this, my dad left a Playboy out at age five and it's affected almost every choice I've made the rest of my life. 
But you know, sin isn't just about sex. A lot of times we've connected it just about sexual things and that's what sin's all about. And yes, sin has affected our sexual instinct. It's affected our sex drive. Sexual sins are numerous and they're destructive, but I'm here to tell you, there's so many more places in our life that sin can infect us and enslave us, right? I think that I can be as addicted to my temper as somebody else is to cocaine or pornography. It is just a fact about us. In fact, as I was even reflecting on my own life, I think I've spent the majority of my life enslaved to seeking approval. And, and that's really a, a pernicious slavery, right? Like, ah, oh, I just need people's approval. There's a dopamine hit that I get when I hear good job. When I'm a little kid and I'm wanting to, you know, do the right thing and, and I get that, you know, approval and I feel, I find myself now trapped not wanting to rock the boat, not wanting to say what I need to say or do what I need to do because I'm too worried that I'll disapprove. I'll get people to not like me. You know, I don't know if that's because I'm a three on the Enneagram. I've heard that that could be my, my thing. I don't know. But you know, it's, it's a terrible slave master. And I don't know what your particular weak place is. I don't know if it's, as we talked about last week, if it's girls, if it's weed, if what, you know, as, as, repeating Kanye's song, but we all have them. We all have these potential weak spots. Let's dive into what Jesus says. This is in John chapter eight. Again, you guys ready to study your Bible this morning? All right, let's do it. John chapter eight, here's what he says. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth well, let's all say it, will set you free. Some of the most memorable words of Jesus, probably the most quoted in songs and in speeches, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. A lot of times taken out of context, but Jesus said it, right? But what's this context? Here's what's interesting, the Jews who had believed in him. So there's a group of Jews Jesus is having a conversation with and these Jews would identify themselves as Jesus followers. But what is the content of that belief? What do they mean when they say they follow Jesus or they believe in him? What's interesting is I think we learn from this, Jesus is always gonna test what we mean by believe in him. Friend, belief in Jesus is far too important to leave untested. Belief in Jesus is far too critical Far too, far too integral to our life to just take it for granted. Yeah, I believe. What do you mean by believe? What does that mean to you? Jesus, is one, he wants to know the answer. So he says this, he's challenging their belief. If you hold to my teaching, then you really are my disciples. And then he says this, this bit about them being set free. Well, they respond in verse 33 and they respond this way. They say, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves of anyone. So how can you say that we shall be set free. They, these these would-be disciples of Jesus don't like to be told that they're not free. And so they're saying, we are descendants of Abraham. Don't you know our pedigree? You know, they're proud of their pedigree, proud of their ancestry. And, and so they're, they're, just, they're just not really buying this whole thing about needing to be set free. And it's ironic because they themselves are under Rome's thumb as they say that they're really not a free people. I think that tells you a little bit about our own ability to assess ourselves. Sometimes we're not as free as we think we are. Can I get an amen to that? So Jesus is now gonna just tell them straight out. Verse 34, Jesus said, 
Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Hmm. Everyone who sins. Can I get a show of hand if you've ever sinned? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We're gonna leave the conversation for a minute. We'll be back to it. But I wanna look at this concept of being a slave to sin. What does Jesus mean? What is that? How does this happen? Why is it so insidious? Like, how do I not realize I'm a slave to sin? Sometimes we talk to others and we can have, a, you know, someone we care about and, and we can see it maybe clearer than they can see it. Like, bro, come on, man. Are you really gonna call her again? What? Like, I thought we talked about this, right? Like, why? Don't you know? Like, and they just literally don't know or they're telling themselves something they wanna hear, you know? Uh, I love the book of James. I don't know if you've read the book of James very often, but you need to. James is Jesus's little brother and he is known for his straight talk, not pulling punches, telling you like it is kind of style. In fact, if there's any book in the New Testament that has a, a similarity, an affinity with the book of Proverbs, it's probably James. And I want you to look at what James says when he's on the topic of temptation and sin. Look what he says. This is James chapter one. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Let me give you what I think is the context. Pastor James is sick and tired of hearing people say, it's God's fault. God put that curl in front of my, you know, God, God put that, that temptation in my path. You know, I, I just, I have to just say, you know, if God wouldn't have opened that door, I probably wouldn't have went in there and I probably wouldn't have stolen that stuff, right? Like the idea is, is there's this blame that we just naturally have to push it over to somebody else. And James is like, guys, stop. God didn't tempt you to do that. You did that. <laughs> you are responsible for that choice. He goes on and he kind of teases this out, but, but I love this. Remember I told you he's like a connection with Proverbs. Look at the Proverbs. There's a proverb that I think fits with that first verse. It says, Proverbs 19, it says, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then they're angry at God. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, come on, right? Why are you trying to blame God, right? It does go all the way back to the garden, right? Why'd you eat that? I don't know, she gave it to me. <laughs> Why'd you, I don't know, it was a snake, <laughs> like, right? Like we just don't want to own it. It's uncomfortable. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. But we do, we need to. Look what James says. He says in verse 14, he says, but each person is tempted, look at this, when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. These two words, dragged away and enticed, they come from the world of the hunter. And, they're, and it's in the context of what happens with a prey animal that is now grabbed by the predator and pulled to the den or the fish that eats the bait and is now being reeled in, dragged away. Enticed is, the, is on the other side of that. It's the bait that's luring the prey. And, and James is using these images to picture what it's like your evil desire, my evil desire starts to grow inside of me. My imagination pours gas on my disordered desire. And before you know it, I'm being drugged into temptation and sin. See, I used to have these pure desires. I was built to just glorify God. We talked about this last week. 
but my fallen nature has now twisted my desires. Desire itself is not wrong. Guys, I have to make this clear because I think if we're not careful, the enemy loves to paint the picture for God for us. He loves to turn God into this killjoy who wants to take away your fun. Guys, God is not that way at all. He gave us fun. He gave us the ability to enjoy life. But it's the twist of our hearts away from God that's now twisted desire itself into something that can hurt us. So, 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 so temptation uses our desires against us. It was never supposed to be that way. So then it goes and he finishes in verse 15 and he tells us the end. Then after desire has conceived, gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown, it brings death. And so this is how it happens, right? We have, these, we have this disordered desire because of our brokenness, our human fallenness. And now instead of having just pure desires, our desires can be twisted. And then what happens is our imagination starts to feed those desires. As, as, as the fire grows, we get to the place where we almost say, I have no other option. I have to do it. I know it's probably not right. I know God probably doesn't want me to, but I have to take care of myself. So if I were to conclude what James is trying to tell us, here's what he's trying to tell us. Own it, (laughs) just own it. Don't blame it, don't push it, just own it. If we're in a mess, guys, it's our fault. I know it's not easy to hear, but friends, we gotta own it. You know who else is not in this text? God isn't in the text, right? God's not, is not behind the temptation. Guess who else isn't behind the temptation a lot of times? Satan, (laughs) he's not there either. Now I'm not saying he never tempts us. Of course he does. But James is saying, look guys, we do enough of a damage on ourselves. We don't need to always blame somebody else. So the first thing we gotta do when we gotta address this issue is we gotta own it. I wanna move on now. Because I wanna kind of paint this picture. So how do we get into this mess, and then how do we get out of it? Romans chapter six says something I think that's really helpful. We're gonna study a lot of Romans six in a second, but introduce it to you. Here's what it says, verse 19. It's because of the weakness of our our human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery. This is gonna pull exactly from Jesus's language, right? I'm gonna use the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, so before you met Jesus, he's writing to Christians, but he's gonna refer to their previous life. Before you met Jesus, you you led yourselves, there's the ownership part, you led yourselves to be slaves to impurity and lawlessness. He's echoing what James is saying. And here's what he says, which led to ever deeper into sin. So the way Paul is pointing this out is that you and I make these choices We're led by our, because we have this weak human nature, we're led into temptation. We make a choice and that leads to further sin. I have a little graph, you know, I love my graphs. Here's kind of how I picture it. So we have this brokenness that we've inherited from our ancestor, you know, from Adam and Eve. It's twisted our desires because of that. Now temptation is very difficult to, to, to push away. We're weak against temptation. That leads us into sin. When we make that choice, the sin affects our mental ability to see things clearly. So we're in deception, which leads us into greater sinful actions, which leads us full circle into slavery. This is what happens. What starts as a decision ends as a dependency. 
What started as a choice ends as a prison, right? It's a decision that spirals me into greater and greater slave issues with, with sin. And I wanna say this to you at this, at this moment, right? God sees that. And, and what, we're, what we're conditioned to think is that God hates our sin and so he hates us, right? He sees that slavery and he sees that decision that we made, those patterns we made. And so he turns his eyes, he turns his back on us. He doesn't want anything to do with us. And friends, that could not be further from the truth. God is for you. No matter what your sin patterns are, no matter what the mistakes you've made are, no matter how bad, how far into slavery of sin you are, God is for you. But sin doesn't just affect you, does it? Our patterns aren't just messing our lives up, are they? In fact, it gets messier than that. I like what uh, Paul Williams, he worked here, he's uh, Mike's uh, brother-in-law. He, he has this great phrase, he says, sin splatters, and it does. Man, I don't wanna raise our hands on this, but how many of us felt the splatter of someone's sin, right? Like we've been there. In fact, I like what Ignacio Gonzalez says. He says, when human beings sin, they create structures of sin, which in turn make human beings sin. You know, this could be anything from on a national level where bribes and kickbacks are just part of how they're embedded into the leadership structure of a country, right? Where you can't even build a building if you don't bribe the officials to get the permits. Some of you think that's, I'm talking about America. I don't know, but right? We got that kind of thing going on in, in nations where there's corruption embedded into the country. Or it could be a job where the employees, they're, part of doing business in a job is putting you into compromising places. Entire industries can be corrupt, can be built on taking advantage of people or not being fully honest and disclosing. How many laws have been passed to try to clean up what happened in 2007 in the mortgage industry? because of the corruption that was there. So we have it on huge levels, national and, and corporate, but we also have it in our homes. Our parents may have raised us in, 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 in patterns of bigotry and prejudice. And so we're, we're, we don't even realize that bigotry and prejudice is wrong. And so we pass that on to our kids. And these patterns, these systemic evils are just churning along. Someone's sin affects me and my sin affects them and so on. So how do we get out of this? Brad, I'm, this is a depressing sermon, right? How do I get out of this? Let's go back to Jesus. Come on, somebody. Amen. Guys, let me just say this. Whenever you don't know a way out, you just go back to Jesus. Amen. Man, that's a word for somebody in this room. I don't know everybody's story in here, but some of you just need to hear that right now. Whenever you don't know a way out, you just go back to Jesus just go back to the good shepherd. John chapter eight, look what he says. He says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family. He's, he's gonna play with this imagery of slavery and son here. He's gonna, he's gonna teach us something. Remember, we're slaves of sin, but that's, a, that's an evocative word. Slavery was common in the first century. And people understood that concept. The slaves could be sold. They had no permanence. They could be a part of one you know, family, and then they sold to, off to somebody else. And that's a terrible thing. Humans were never designed to be slaves. Humans were never designed to be enslaved 
to sin either. And so Jesus is gonna play with this word and he's gonna say, listen, slaves have no permanence, but look at this, a son belongs to a family forever. And then he places, he kind of does a double meaning on the word son because he is the son. And he says, so if the son sets you free, you slave of sin, you're free indeed. When the son sets you free, you have no more fear of impermanence. You have no more fear of being, come on somebody, of being cast out of the family because you're fully in the family now. When the son does a work, it can't be undone. Oh, come on, somebody. Rejoice in that today. You need that. So Paul is going to lay this out. In fact, I really think that Paul has this, this passage maybe in his mind when he writes Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8. And so for homework today, I want you to go home and I want you to do a Bible study of Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8. I told you this is a Bible study here, but you're doing one at home too. Can I get an amen? Who, who, who likes studying their Bible at home, right? Okay, we are gonna do that. And I think Paul just expands on Jesus's language here in these three chapters. Let's look. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Since we have been united with Jesus, with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Paul is arguing that a believer is someone who has been spiritually united to Jesus. We are gonna be crucified with Jesus. We are gonna be raised with Jesus. Come on now. We are, we are united with Jesus. And this union with Jesus has profound implications in our battle with sin. Here's what he goes on. He says, we know that our old sinful selves were, let's all say it, were what? Crucified. Hey, when you crucify something, what does that mean? You killed it. Are you with me? All right, so he's saying your old sinful self, that thing that was so weak, that thing that couldn't stand up to temptation, right? That thing that just got whooped by sin, that old sinful self, that old you, it was crucified, it was killed with Jesus on his cross because you are united, you guys with me with that? You're united with Jesus so that sin might lose its power over our lives. And so let's all say this together. So we are no longer slaves to sin, no longer slaves. Verse seven, he says this, for when Jesus died, or when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we shall also live with him. You go through the crucifixion, you enjoy the resurrection. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah, there you go, thank you. <laughs> we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead the linchpin of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus. He will no longer die. He will never die. Uh, go to that next verse for me, guys. Verse nine. He will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. Verse, verse, uh, next verse for me, verse 10. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Okay, so hang with me. Jesus and us are united spiritually on the cross. We are going through the crucifixion with Jesus. Our old life is being killed on the cross. He's offered as a sin offering on the cross. And Jesus's death substitutes my death and he takes my place and I am now forgiven and pardoned because of his perfect sacrifice on the cross. But what happens on that cross is death is broken. I'm sorry, sin is broken on that cross. The power of sin. The resurrection gives me the power over death. 
The crucifixion gives me the power over sin. Are y'all tracking so far so good? Okay, let's look at the next verse, verse 11. Okay, it changes here. The text has been, for the last 10 verses, has been telling us what's true about us. This is what's true about you. What's true about you is that you're united with Jesus. What's true about you is that sin doesn't have power over you anymore. What's true about you is that because he died, you have freedom, right? Come on, because he's gonna live, you're also gonna live. That's what's true about you. Scholars call this the indicative. This is a fact about who you are. And what I need you to do right now is I need you to believe that. And if you're taking notes, this is number two. You need to believe that. Some of us don't believe that. We don't believe this sin's been broken over us. We don't believe there's really an option. We've, we feel like it's basically the same thing. Yeah, I had this emotional moment with Jesus. I accepted Christ. I felt free for a minute. I felt like I was forgiven, but I'm right back into it. And I need you right now to believe that you've been set free. I need you to believe it. Now let's move on to, to the next part. This is chapter six, verse uh, 11. So he says this, so now you should consider. The text has changed. No longer is Paul describing who you are. He's now gonna describe what you need to do. He's gonna change from the indicative to the imperative. He's changing from who you are to what you now need to do. And here's what he's telling you and me that we need to do. We need to consider ourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. This is like a kid who joins a football team, right? Puts the pads on, puts the helmet on, get, has his name in the back or whatever, right? He's ready. He's a football player. He's on the football team. And the coach is like, okay, okay, Blakely, go hit somebody, <laughs> right? Why? Because that's what football players do. Man, this is who you are. Can I grab you by the shoulder pads? Or grab you by the, this is who you are. Now be who you are. You are dead to sin. So live like you're dead to sin. Am I getting an amen here? Man, sin's power has been broken over you. So don't give in to sin anymore. You don't have to. You have a choice now. Verse 12. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to the evil desires. Verse 13. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, and I want you to catch this church, give yourselves, let's all say the next word, give yourselves completely to God. Give yourselves completely to God. I think that's our biggest problem. My biggest problem is not giving myself completely to God. See, there's no half measures when it comes to following Jesus. He told us to pick up a cross and follow him. He didn't say, pick it up, drop it, pick it up, drop it. He said, pick up a cross and follow me, right? And if you follow me, you're gonna go to a cross because that's where people with crosses go. They go to their crucifixions. But let me tell you something, Brad. On the crucifixion comes the power to over sin. And in the resurrection comes the power over death. There's no better news than that. There's freedom for your sin and there's freedom from death because Jesus has broken the power of each. Amen. That's truth. That's the Bible. Thank you. Amen. Come on. Give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have a new life. Use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. 
Sin is no longer your master. Can I just say that to you? You're no longer to live under the requirements. Hit verse 14 for me. Next one for me. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Let me say this to us, to all of us here. Some of us live as if we're in prison. And I'm telling you, you're not imprisoned. Let me repeat that. Some of us live as if we're still in prison, but the fact is you're not imprisoned. You can live like you're in prison and not be imprisoned. And let me tell you how that works. You live as if you have no freedom. You live as if you have no power over sin. You live as if you have no other option and you're leaving Jesus on the bench of your life. You need to invite him into your game. In fact, you just need to let him do a substitution for you and let him play for you. Can I get it? I'm wired up today. If you want to stand up and hallelujah on that. Thank you. There you go. Man. Get in the game, Jesus. I'm failing. Man, get in the game for me. I'm not in prison. So number three, walk it. Number two, number one was own it. Number two is believe it. Number three is walk it. Guys, this is what's true. So walk it. Walk it. All right, Brad. I've heard these sermons before. I've heard about how I should have freedom over sin, how I shouldn't be in chains, how I shouldn't be in prison but I need some practical help. I really need, I mean, I agree with this. I should not do that, but let me tell you, I do it. <laughs> How do I stop doing it? So I wanna end there. I think Paul actually gives us some really, really powerful, powerful word. Romans chapter eight. You're doing your homework, Romans six, seven, and eight. I'm now gonna go to eight, but you're gonna do this homework for yourselves at home, yes? Okay, so here's eight. Therefore, and I love this, dear brothers and sisters. Some Bibles don't include sisters. They're wrong. The text says sisters, and it's really important why. Because he's about to use a metaphor about sons being adopted, and Paul wants the girls to know they're included in that. Though ladies are included. Dear brothers and sisters, I love the word dear because this is the heart of the apostle that really, he just wants people to know this and he wants to be so tender with you. He says this, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, your sinful nature's dictates, you're gonna die. It goes right back to what James says, right? But, and here's part of our answer, if through the power of the spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you're gonna live. So what Paul is saying is, here's the, here is the secret. Here's, here's what maybe you've missed, okay? The power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in you can give you power over the, the sinful nature that keeps pulling you into the slavery. Look what he says in verse 14, he says this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This is really key. So that you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Remember what Jesus said about slaves? They don't have any permanence in the home. That led to fear. Anytime they could just be moved and sold. That's in, that impermanence. What Paul is saying is, what Jesus has done is he's removed the fear of impermanence. 
He's removed the fear of you not knowing if you stand before God. He's removed the fear of you feeling like at any minute God could just throw you out. He's saying, listen, God did not give you the spirit of fear. He did not put a spirit of fear in you that now you're afraid of where you stand with God. In fact, it's the opposite of that. Here's what he says. Instead, now you've received God's, guys, you've received God's spirit. And he's adopted you as his own child. And now we call him Abba Father. And guys, I know a lot of us don't resonate with that for two reasons. Number one, we're not quite sure what Abba Father means. <laughs> and I wanna tell you what that means. Abba Father was this beautiful address that Jesus seemed to only use, that no other rabbi, no other teacher really used it when praying to, to the Father. In fact, it's so odd that a lot of Jews didn't believe it was proper to, to talk to God that way, but Jesus would talk in such familiar ways to the Father that he literally said, dear daddy, dear daddy. Jesus is in, in his hour of need in Mark chapter 14, in the garden of Gethsemane, the disciples are overhearing Jesus. He's pouring his heart out to the Father. And even in that darkness, he's crying out and his words are, Abba, Father, Daddy. And what Paul is saying is so amazing. He's saying that we are adopted into that union. Friends, we are allowed into the relationship that existed for eternity between the Father and the Son, and that we're incorporated in Jesus. Guys, check this out. We are in such a beautiful relationship with God the Father and God the Son. We're adopted into this relationship that we get to call God the same thing Jesus did. We get to feel the same way Jesus felt about the Father, and that is Daddy. Daddy, I am accepted, I am loved, I am adopted, I am forgiven, I am included, I'm not rejected, I'm not thrown out, I don't need to be afraid, I don't need to be ashamed, I don't need to be embarrassed. God, I'm in your love, I am united with Jesus, I'm in Christ, and that in Christ has made me fully accepted, and I just cry out, Abba, Father, you are my Father. Friend, listen, the more I am in love with Jesus, the less I'll be in love with anything else that tries to rival Jesus in my life. So this is number four. Enjoy it. Come on, somebody, man. This is what you have. This is your inheritance in Jesus. So enjoy Jesus. Can I get a name into that? Man, I'm fired up today. Ah, because the more you enjoy Jesus, the less you're gonna enjoy any rival, any pretender, any counterfeit, anything that offers you some forbidden fruit that just leads to your own destruction. I want you to say this to your neighbor. I'm not a slave. I'm a son. I'm not sin's captive. I'm God's child. Guys, can you say that with a little more conviction? Can you help a brother out of here? All right, I'll do that one more time. Say to your friend, yes, I'm not a slave. I'm a son. I, I, know, I know it's awkward for you ladies, but, but you got it, right? You figured that out, right? You're included. I'm not sin captive. I'm God's child. Look at Galatians 4. I told you we're doing a Bible study. We're not done yet. There's just too much in the Bible to not be done yet. 
Look at Galatians 4. Because of this, you are sons. God sent his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. No longer a slave. You're a son. And if a son, then you're an heir. Come on, man, you inherit this relationship. That same passage, a couple verses later, look what he says. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify these desires of the flesh. You just won't. First John chapter three, John says it a little different, but it's the same thing. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. It's the same thing. I'm spiritually united to Jesus. Say that again. I'm spiritually united to Jesus. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. I'm enjoying Jesus. I'm enjoying my relationship. He's my Abba. He's my Father. He's not going anywhere. He's never going to forsake me. He's never going to leave me. He fully accepts me. He's pure love. There's no one, no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I've been totally forgiven. I'm totally accepted. Keep telling yourself, keep telling yourself, keep telling yourself because the enemy is going to accuse you. He's going to deceive you. He's going to lie to you. He's going to bring shame to you. And some of you need to have the the power of sin broken over you by calling what you know is true out loud to Jesus. I don't think we fight enough, friends. I do not think we fight enough. I think we roll over. I'm going to say, I think I roll over. And I need to start fighting because I am not a slave. Guys, we're saved from sin, but we're saved too intimacy. We're going to have a chance right now to respond. And I don't know how you need to respond to this message. I don't know if you just need to just, I don't know if you just need to stand before your father and just tell him, God, I'm sorry that I've been running. I'm sorry that I've just not been enjoying you. That I've enjoyed the pleasures of sin that only last for a season instead of an eternal joy with a God who has forgiven me because of what Jesus did on the cross, how could I ever doubt that love? Can we stand, church? Can we stand together? I'm, I'm emotional. My grandpa was such a powerful encourager in my life, and I'm just a little emotional. And I'm sorry, but I just need you guys to know this about God. And I don't know if your earthly father makes it hard for you to believe in a heavenly father like this. But I need to tell you something right now. He's the father every human heart always wanted. He's the father that we ache for at the deepest level. And he's not gonna cast you out. 